Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, welcome to the show. This is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing Sinead O'Connor and her song, Nothing Compares to You. I think it was Troy Love's podcast, Finding Peace, when he interviewed me. He asked me if anyone ever spoke to me about my feelings as a child. And the answer was no. Almost never. Way too vulnerable, way too real, way too emotionally mature for my family, way too deep. My family didn't speak to me about feelings, but songs really did. This episode is dedicated to Sinead O'Connor, who died this week. May she rest in deep, deep peace. My father had mostly abandoned me before age nine and completely by the time I was 10. I was 10 in 1990 when Sinead O'Connor's song, Nothing Compares to You, came out. It was originally written and produced by Prince and she came out with this song, with this powerhouse voice that she has. This is a very tender song for me, to me. This is a song that stays with me. And I feel honored that I get to thank her and say goodbye to this powerful Irish woman with the voice and the eyes of an angel. And I hope she's resting with her son that died last year. This is one of two songs that as a child very much helped me process my father's abandonment. And then I took these songs with me for every other loss of my life. It's interesting how these songs become background to our lives, the wallpaper of our lives, the containers that carry us through our emotion. I called my biological father, Papa. With my mother and Ice Queen, I gravitated towards him. I waited for him to get home after work as a very small girl, and I just wanted to be near him. I wanted to be on his lap. I wanted my arms around his neck. I wanted to feel held. I wanted to be made to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel loved. He wasn't all that plugged into parenting, but comparatively to my mom, I felt more warmth. And so I gravitated towards him. I hung on to him. I clung. I spent a lot of my childhood hoping and waiting 
I have some heartbreaking memories. I've talked about them in at least one or two episodes over the years of waiting with my little tenacious self on my Grammy and grandpa's porch where I was living, both of them. And if my mom was there, all three would try to get me to come inside to stop waiting on Papa, to understand that he just wasn't coming. And I would argue. I would defiantly put my foot down. I would disagree with them. No, he loves me. He is coming. And I would see them in their adult way, make eye contact with each other, look down at their feet and say okay and not really force me to come inside. So I'd spend all day long waiting on Papa. Every car that drove by, every single person that turned onto the block. I have mixed feelings, both grateful that they let me wait because I wanted to wait. It felt important for me to wait. I felt a ferocity of intention to wait for my papa, that I had the power to use my mind to intend him to show up. And even at six and seven and eight and nine years old, I held on to that as if I really had the power to make it happen. I also wonder if it would have been better for me, my grief, my little nervous system, my heart, my mind, if I'd have been forced off that porch by the other adults and drawn away from that scene into another activity to not let my mind, my heart, my body spend so much time in that kind of forlorn waiting. By the time I was 10, after years of waiting, I knew he wasn't coming. I no longer waited on the porch. There were no more phone calls or promises of coming to pick me up. What had once at least been an empty promise of, I'm coming to get you, I'll see you this weekend, just became a giant dose of nothing. Sinead's song came out the year I turned 10. And I'll never know if I accepted his absence, his abandonment. I'll never know if I accepted it before the song or if the song is what helped me accept the full abandonment of my father and let go of hoping he'd come back once and for all. It helped me cry. It helped me grieve. It helped me know my feelings were normal because this powerful lady's voice was showing me and feeling through me with powerfully on-point language, putting words to what I felt. I want to share some of the lines of lyrics that helped cleanse my wound of a broken heart at the loss of my father. Grief, there is no way through it but to go through it. Our human hearts will be torn apart by losing someone so many times, for so many reasons, some natural, some unnatural, and all painful. I've honestly marveled through my therapist lens to understand how I really was able to come to peace about losing my father at the age of 10, because I really did. I felt a closure. I hit a point where I thought, yep, even at 10 years old, 
And I was reading books at what they used to call a college level, and I was processing so much and reading so much so deeply, so what was really and truly beyond my age, voraciously reading, helped me process and grow beyond my age, which fits. I was dealing with things that emotionally really were beyond my age. People who are also out there and parentified will understand how we could be so young and yet doing some things like little adults, maybe even some things in ways that some adults never do. Now, in my 40s, I choose to understand that I may have been almost gifted a release of this grief. It may have been divine. It may have been a spiritual intervention to help me put down the pain of losing my papa before more abuse and neglect was to come. If you younger people have never heard this song or you've never seen Sinead O'Connor's stunning eyes, please go listen. Please go look at this woman. Feel her. I'm going to add it to the Patreon so that we can make some comments if we want to or just listen to the song and not comment at all. The song begins with Sinead belting it out. It's a powerhouse ballad. And the first lines are, it's been seven hours and 15 days. This is such a profound line for me. And it's not about it being seven hours or 15 days. It's not about the amount of time. While I didn't count the hours or days Once my papa finally left and never saw me again, there's a quality to grieving that slows down time. Pain is thick and it creeps through minute by minute, slowing the time. For me as a child, I emotionally and energetically, not logically, but emotionally and energetically, if that makes sense, calculated the unfathomable reality of being alive and continuing to breathe and live and have birthdays and go on without my papa. It didn't make sense to me. Like going on without air or without a bed or without food, it just didn't compute that I could survive the hurt that I felt from it. I have worked with many who lost a parent very young. And for a child, the loss of a parent is surreal. And time is painfully slow when we're children. So if grief slows down the process and time is slowed for a child, wow, does grief do a number on a kid in this way. Just think about how when you were a child, you waited for your birthday or your favorite holiday, or if you celebrated Christmas, what it felt like to wait for Santa. It felt like forever. And now today, waiting for the same events, the same things can go by too quickly to even make sense. I felt the forever and the nothingness of his absence like a deep cavern of pain inside of me. I feel a deep and a wide empathy for children in grief because of this compounding of forever feeling of how time works in grief 
and in childhood. The song says, it's been seven hours and 15 days since you took your love away. Six words, since you took your love away. It's like I didn't know how to articulate what had happened. I had a massive vocabulary by 10. I very well knew that Papa was gone. I knew he left. I knew that I couldn't see him. I knew he and my mother hated each other and were volatile oil and water together. I knew in my little kid way that he had loved me or I thought he had loved me. And the only word I had for him being in my life was love. I knew I missed him and I knew he was gone. And I knew it was wrong for him to be gone. Yes, he was taken away. And I knew it and he took himself away, which felt like acid in the wound. But he took his love away from me. This song gave me the profound aha moment that helped me know why I hurt like I did. Because I was a child, I knew that I couldn't do whatever I wanted. But this song gave me hope that one day I would be able to, one day I'd be so free from my pain that I could do whatever I wanted. The first two stanzas in entirety say, it's been seven hours and 15 days since you took your love away. I go out every night and sleep all day since you took your love away. Since you've been gone, I can do whatever I want. I can see whomever I choose. I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant, but nothing, I said nothing can take away these blues because nothing compares. Nothing compares to you. And that was exactly it. Nothing took away my blues. I felt it when I was at school. I felt it when I was playing outside in the neighborhood. I felt it when a stranger walking in the distance had beautiful, dark, wavy, thick Sicilian hair like he had, but it was never him. I felt those blues every moment, falling asleep, playing with my cousins and watching them have dads. Nothing can compare to a father. Nothing can compare to a parent. And no matter what you think about Freud and all the jokes they make about Freud, all the Oedipus jokes, all the complex jokes, he was right. There is something so profound about a girl and her father, a mother and her son, that programs worth, that sets the tone for every other relationship. These maternal and paternal relationships have the power to create great strength and security or wounding and anxiety in a child. Nothing compared to feeling held by my papa. And I mean held with him in every sense of the word. Held together. Held, loved, safe. Nothing can compare to having your parental figure as a safe, secure being. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. 
That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. I cried a lot. I know that's a big old surprise if you're a fan of the show and you listen all the time because I cry all the time and I certainly did as a little girl. When I cry now, it's often relief and beauty, gratitude for being where I am now. And it overwhelms me in a beauty. Those are often the tears you're feeling from me. My tears back then were so different. The song goes on to say, it's been so lonely without you here, like a bird without a song. Nothing can stop these lonely tears from falling. Tell me, baby, where did I go wrong? These words in my little kid self help me feel so heard and so seen by some singing lady that I'd never meet that would never know me It's the power of music. It's the power of art. It's the power of vulnerability and sharing ourselves. I felt lonely, just like a bird without a song, not knowing what to do with myself. What does a songbird do if it doesn't have a song? I didn't know who I really was without Papa because he left before he helped me develop into me. That's what an abandoning deadbeat parent does to a child. Their abandoning shifts the development of that child and detours that child from a road of security and unfolding development down roads of loneliness and not boredom loneliness, like, oh, I'd really like to play with somebody today and I can't, an existential loneliness too big to feel as a small child without some circuits getting fried. We are beings that were meant to be attached to our caregivers. When a parent leaves, they detach and it feels very similar to as if we were having a detachment of a limb from our body. Sinead O'Connor sings, nothing can stop these tears from falling. Even as I'd grow older, like in middle school, my friend group had a name for my tears, hypercolor tears. That that was one of my nicknames, one of the things people would say about me. I cried so much at school and with my friends. And I don't have any science to really back it up, y'all. But my tears stained my face when they would fall down, marked me in purple streaks. And I cried like that till my late 20s, and I don't anymore. My face will no longer mark up in that hyper color way that it used to. I suspect I was releasing some wicked painful chemicals from my grief 
And I had buckets and buckets and buckets and gallons and gallons of them to cry before my tear ducts were able to release enough to clear, to clean the poison of pain that finally flushed itself from my being. Nothing can stop these lonely tears from falling. Where did I go wrong? This song was actually originally produced by Prince. So Prince actually put these words together for my pain and Sinead pushed those words through her pipes to deliver the power, the energy, the message. Where did I go wrong is what haunted me. Children are developmentally what we call egocentric. And yes, so are narcissists, completely egocentric. Children must be selfish in this way to prioritize survival. It's why babies scream and cry with no awareness of how tired mom is. Because that baby, frankly, doesn't have the capacity. It doesn't have the empathy to think empathetically outside of itself yet. The hope is that we survive from that selfishness and then grow out of it. And we all see when people don't grow out of it, how personality disorders develop. A selfishness that harms relationships instead of growing them closer and safer. I, like any child, put the ownership on myself from that place of very natural, very healthy egocentrism. Where did I go wrong? I'd sit in bed at night and wonder, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? This is the shame I'd take into my adolescence, into my first romantic relationships and beyond. This is such an unfortunate and sad way our human psychology works. If I could go back in time, I'd say to eight to 10-year-old me, oh, sweet girl, you always were a wonderful daughter. Papa was broken as a father. He failed. He gets an F. And he failed because he has a broken moral fiber. He has a sickness in his responsibility. He has an illness in his papa parts. You didn't do anything to make him go away. Sometimes parents are bad at being parents. Give that wrongness back to him, sweet girl. It never, ever belonged to you. The next two lines of the song say, Could put my arms around every boy I see, but they'd only remind me of you. At 10 years old, hadn't had any romantic relationships yet, didn't even feel attracted to boys yet. That would take some years. These two lines meant nothing to me, but they read to me now like prophecy. Because by 16, I stepped right into putting my arms around every boy that would let me. All of them reminded me of Papa. All of them reminded me of the masculinity I had missed out on and craved and needed. The arms I wanted to hold me. We are drawn to what is familiar instead of what is healthy. We are drawn to what will repeat our wounding instead of what will help us heal it and never be wounded again in the same way. As much as this song helped me process and let go of my grief, the grief is only one part of this. We bring beliefs forward. 
So I grieved, and my sadness about Papa eventually subsided. It healed over, just like a wound on your arm or on your leg. It scabbed. And for a while, I picked at that scab until I eventually let it fully scab over. But these messages I brought forward, I acted from because they were in my subconscious. They were in my programming. I had relationships with people who were okay throwing me away. I became someone okay with throwing myself away and having no standards, with allowing pain because I knew pain. That was the program I knew, so it was the program I continued. From a place of healing these very wounds, I am now married to a man who would do anything not to hurt me and anything to make right any hurt that he or life might cause. I am in a very healthy and satisfying relationship with a man who is emotionally intelligent, nothing like my parents. But attraction is really something, y'all. It encodes in our early relationships from primary caregivers. My husband, like my father, is full-blooded Italian. When I first dated Chris, I recognized that he smelled like my father. DNA is wild, y'all, as is attraction. And in a way that most people won't talk about or admit, that just does something for us. I think that calmed me in a way to have that smell. And yes, we smell each other. We have pheromones. That's part of our attraction system. It felt very full circle, very like the universe saying, here you go, Nikki, all of this healing. This is how it can be good, healthy, and right, loyal, and safe. The next stanza of the song says, went to the doctor, guess what he told me? Guess what he told me? He said, girl, you better try to have fun no matter what you do. But he's a fool. As a kid, I took this to mean anyone telling me to shake it off or just go have fun was a total fool and idiot who didn't get it. I felt like Sinead's singing was in my corner commiserating with me. As an adult, this is where I've gotten to in my career and where I wish doctors who dealt with psychosocial emotional issues with their patients and clientele would say to the people coming to them for help, you better try to have fun no matter what you do. We have gotten so far away from what it is to be psychologically, emotionally, and mentally healthy that we no longer value what is simple and right for the human condition. And when we are sad and when we are in grief, we must push against some of those forces. We can't just give in and lay down and die in it. Grief sort of resents fun because fun makes us live again, makes us get out of our grief and feel other things. Joy, laughter, it makes us think different thoughts. We find silliness. We get away from our own problems by being there for a friend, by going for a hike. Physical activities get endorphins going on this body, feel-good chemicals going through mind and body. It is part of this human condition, unfortunately, that we so easily throw out wise, simple, effective advice because it's so simple or because when it comes to loss, we can feel a subconscious obligation to the grief. 
We can feel attached to the grief, which makes sense when we understand with compassion. I lost my papa. Grief, my pain, was all that was there for me to hold on to. I had to hold on to that for a while. Moving through grief boils down to deciding with a beautiful, loving stubbornness that at a point, it's time to let go. It's time to detach. It's time to deal with the reality that they or the circumstance or whatever it is, is gone. And our life continues. Two lines in the last original stanzas in the song, before it starts to repeat, it says, I know that living with you, baby, was sometimes hard, but I'm willing to give it another try. These two lines spoke a truth to me beyond my ears. I had liked being on my papa's lap. I liked his strong arms holding me, but I had not liked living with him. My parents fought and were physical with each other. Their energy was very if looks could kill to each other, and I was in the crossfire of their contempt. It was hard. And even in getting closer to acceptance, till I finally fully accepted it, I of course wanted to give it an endless amount of another tries. Eventually carrying that hope, because it's carrying it and it's weighty to carry that hope of another try, another possibility, that weight eventually became cumbersome. Eventually I no longer wanted to carry it. And I put it down. I know we are taught to have endless hope because it sounds so good on paper. If you do my courses, I teach why we have to understand when hope is unhealthy. Life asks us to let go in lots of ways. It is an essential part of our healthcare to let go. And yes, sometimes even of hope. The song ends saying, Nothing compares. Nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to our family of origin. Nothing compares to our original relationship to our parents. I do this work to be a model for healing for what is possible when we take a responsibility for ourselves above and beyond what was modeled for us. At a point in healing, I realized I am the only me on this planet. Nothing compares to me. And for my inner child, I have stepped into that fathering and mothering place for the little girl I was. My sweet girl knows, she trusts, she believes that I am the person who will never leave her. And today, that is everything. If you want to know more about what I do, how I can help you heal, Come to emotionalbadass.com backslash boundaries and sign up for my foundational course, The Boundaries Course. And I teach it live, y'all, so it's an experience, and I invite you to it. I teach it every October. We'll blink, and October will be here. Come secure your spot now. You can hang out on the site. You can check out what else I offer and dive in wherever you feel called. Trust your gut and lean in where your gut tells you to. 
I have peace and I just want to show you how to have peace too. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love and peace. Thank you, sweet woman. Please rest. Take care of yourselves. And I'll see you right here next time for a brand new episode. Bye-bye. Find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations, and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night.